so, like a month and a half ago, um, I talked on salvation. We did a pretty in-depth look at salvation, where salvation, what it what it accomplishes, and uh, how it takes care of everything. God had it all planned out, everything worked out, the many different things that separated us from God, and it just took care of all of those things. Um, so today, we're going to move the next step. We're kind of going to get into the, like, saved, all right? So I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, what now? What about this here? What am I supposed to do? And uh, today I want to talk about where God's heart is still at, and that is the restoration of his original plan for humans and earth. And so I want to look at some of the beginning in Genesis and move through that pretty quickly. I know that Joe's going through Genesis, and I know he'll touch on some of it. Um, but I just want to point out that um, from the beginning, God really just has a heart for for transformation and creation. And as you'll see, he had plans for us partnering with him in these things. And we will not live to our fullest extent unless we are active in the family of God transforming this earth. And so I want to look at the biblical basis for that, um, both transforming the earth, the transformation that happens within, with, with right after with salvation, and uh, maybe we'll get, we're going to look more at the, the theology behind it, not as much perhaps the practicality. I'd like to hit on that next. But uh, that's where I'm at. So we're all transformers for Christ now, and let's look at that. Oh, I need the clicker. It's working right away. Um, what were we created for? Well, let's look at Genesis. Let's look at something that in Romans. But uh, human beings were made. Uh, they were to have a relationship with God. That's why we were made. We were made to have a relationship with God very close relationship with God, God with us, physically with us, and Eden was able to handle that. And uh, we were to live in peace with one another. Humans were meant to be part of the family of God. Family is a plurality. There was to be more of us. That was taken on early together. We were to work together. And uh, also in Genesis, part of that, that Genesis 1 mandate was that we are to take care, subdue, and transform creation. We were to work with God. God was setting us up. God was with us, and we were going to take Eden to the outskirts. Eden was a focalized point. It was a, it was a heaven on earth at the time. And uh, we were to subdue the earth and turn the rest of the earth into that, that heavenly place. Uh, Romans 8.29, um, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in the order that he might be the firstborn among his brothers. Talking about the way that we are created, the image of God. The Genesis 1 mandate for humanity is found in Genesis 1. And then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. 
is repeating things on purpose. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I shall give, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food, and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. I like to think of this as Eden was the heavenly base camp. It is where we were brought forth. It is where we lived with God. Our mission was to go on the earth, as we just saw here, subdue it and create it. It's already created, but we were to subdue it, bring order, extend Eden, um, heaven on earth. That's what man was supposed to do. Heaven on earth, right from the beginning. But it all goes downhill. Um goes downhill in multiple reasons. The first reason it goes downhill is the fall of man and sin entering humanity. And we'll look at Genesis again. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and we're just going to, there was a curse for the serpent for what happened. There was a curse to the female for what happened. And now there's this curse to man, to Adam. And uh, we're going to start here because this is where it really gets into seeing how the curse is interrupting our mission. The curse is making it harder for us to do what we need to do. Um, And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat all of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken. Just want to remind you that no more let thorns or sorrows grow. That's right here. That's where we get our Christmas music. By the sweat of our face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken. Well, I like bread, so it's not horrible. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us and knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the God, the Lord God, sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and the flaming sword and turned every way, that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. It's going to be hard now. Subduing the earth just became that much harder. And we have to deal with those consequences. We have to deal with the the extra work that goes into it. Um, Kind of look at it as in in creation itself was rebelling against man, in a way. Because at first, creation was set for us to go out and do our thing. And now it's not. So sin enters humanity. So we can still, they still are talking to God. But now that intimate separation is there. And now we are going out into the world and it's extra hard. But humanity goes on. And it brings us up to, um, I didn't put Genesis 6 on here, 
But in Genesis 6, it talks about the disobedience of heavenly beings and the rise of violence and sin. Um, it is very specific about what, what comes before the flood. And when it talks specifically about sin, it's mentioning violence a lot. So what that looked like, I'm not sure. Um, but Genesis 6 talks about heavenly beings coming down and messing some stuff up. And basically, it kind of feels like they're just teaching men how to be excellent in sin, how to be the most efficient sinners they can be. And God has had it. And uh, he floods. He lets Noah know, hey, this is coming. This is what I need you to do, Noah. And we get the story of Noah. And uh, Noah listens to God. He's faithful to God's instructions. And the flood has subsided at this point in Genesis 9. Uh, God gives orders again to humanity. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all of the fish of the sea. So he's going back and he's using the same language that we were using in Genesis 1. It's kind of like a reset. The flood was kind of like a reset button to an extent. Sin is still here, though. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God has made man in his own image." And you, be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. I believe that the reason he emphasizes, this is just kind of a side note, doesn't really go with the transformation, but I think the reason he emphasizes, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. Is I think he's going back, I think it was that violence. There was something about that violence in Genesis 6 that it talks about. And I think what it is, is I think it was man killing man, and the degradation of life, the value for life, the value of seeing men and women as image bearers of God, and the destruction of these image bearers, just the the disregard, the importance of that human life. And so he, as he rolls it out here in Genesis 9, he puts an emphasis on that when he's talking to Noah. And then, once again, he says, And you, be fruitful and multiply, Increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. All right, you guys, go subdue this earth. Go move around. Make it happen. Um, But of course, being that we're men, we're full of sin, we think we have some good ideas. So here we go again. So God has to extend and figure this out again because we still couldn't get it going. Uh, This is the Tower of Babel. Genesis 11. And now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them throughly. And they had brick for the stone and bitumen for mortar. And then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. They didn't want to be dispersed over the face of the whole earth, which is exactly opposite of what God had just asked them to do previously. So now generations have passed since Noah. 
and they're all still kind of hanging out because let's face it, probably hanging out in a city where you have everything provided for you and you're with family and you're just, it's very comfortable. They were very comfortable. So they were like, hey, this is super cool. Let's just make this super city. city. Let's stay. Let's do this. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they all have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do now will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. And so the Lord dispersed them from them from there over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. So there you have the origin of nations, and God is spreading people out. So you no longer have a united humanity. Uh, you start getting into your different factions in war. They take different gods. Um, they become very unproductive as humanity. They're rambling. Nations are doing their own thing. So God, at this point, this is right before God, decides to go find a guy named Abram. And so God decides to create his own nation, Israel, from Abram. And out of Israel will come to the answer to all of these problems. And Jesus is going to provide an answer to each of these three events. Um, so that's just the background on what we were supposed to do and how humanity has fought against doing what we're supposed to do, which is, again, heaven on earth. Um, so we're going to skip a lot of Bible because I want to talk about after salvation. Israel has its up and downs stays fairly faithful, enough that God brings out of Israel what he promised, a Savior, and uh, we get our Savior. And he does the things specifically that need to be done to make a way for us to re-engage with God on an intimate level and start doing these transformational works that he's asked us to do. And then we, so kind of insert comment here about my last sermon on salvation. If you're interested about salvation theology, soteriology, go back. I've got a PowerPoint for that too that I did for that. Um, so the conversation is kind of cool. I'm saved. Now what? And then my response would be you get to partner up with God and transform the earth, fulfilling your original image-bearing purpose. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. A lot of people's response is I feel unprepared and ill-equipped. But let's let God transform you. That's what God wants to do. Um, he wants the transformation of our very being. So we're going to look at some New Testament verses that go beyond just talking about transformation and kind of explain what he means by transformation. In many of Paul's letters, he discusses the topic of being transformed. He describes it and uses language with a present passive meaning. This is very important because as we look at something like we always say born again, Born again is not a one-time, it's not something that just happened in your past. You are saved. I'm not saying that salvation is conditional on anything. You're saved. But that being born again, that transformation, as we'll see in verses, it is a progression. It just doesn't, it just, maybe for some, it happens more than others. But it is a progression. That is the way that it seems that it is designed based on verses. Um, this is a process. You are expected to continually grow in Christ-likeness. 
being born again is the most accurate portrayal when they use the examples. But just remember that it's a present passive, meaning that you are still being born again. John 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees, and this is when Jesus talks about being born again. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, and he came by night because he didn't want to be seen coming to Jesus because his people were not, were not friendly with the Jesus. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one man, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Um, so Jesus is already setting up the idea of being born again, the idea of this, this transformational event. You are a new creation. And even before we get into Paul's explanations, um, before we get deeper into Paul, I want to look at something uh, Peter wrote in one of his letters too, um, regarding that born again. Um, remembering that, that Peter is going to use some of the lang- same language that Jesus used because Peter was with Jesus um, physically. And whereas Paul doesn't really talk about born again as much, and it could just be because he wasn't present with Jesus during the ministry. Uh, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Again, when I looked this up, it was present passive. Born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Who by God's power are being guarded through the faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So going directly from talking about being born again in the process, he's already getting into trials. Okay, there is there is struggle. Um, there is that shifting that takes place when you're saved. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, again talking about the testing, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So still talking about the future outcome that goes along with salvation. Um, Paul is going to talk more about this transformation and uh, the words that he uses I, I think are very important as it also sheds a light on the timeline of this transformation that you take. Uh, 2 Corinthians 3.12 Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened, For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. 
Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is Spirit. All right, so the Holy Spirit is helping us in our growth from one glory to another. It seems like there's an incremental process to this. You are expected to grow in Christ after salvation. You are expected to turn into this new creation. The Holy Spirit is totally partnering with you. There is always, the support is there, but there are decisions we make too. Again, not saying your works make you more saved or less saved. Just saying there is an expectation that we do something. When he uses the word transformation, he's using the Greek word metamorphosi, which means mutation, transformation, alteration, transmutation. That mutation is occurring. You are turning into something different. You are mutating. Um, that's our being. That's who we are. Um, and Paul then goes, and he spends a little more time, we're going to talk about the transformation of the mind. The transformation of the mind, and we'll, well, we'll start with Romans 12. Transformation of the minds, Romans 12.1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to prevent your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Okay, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That is all of you. A lot of people read bodies, that just means my life, what I'm doing, my work. Your bodies also is what's up here. Um, do not be conformed. The Greek word for conform is schizmatizo, tizo, and it means to be molded according to a pattern. Um, it's where we get our word schematic in English. So when he's talking about do not be conformed, he's talking about don't be enticed by the schematic of the world, by the world view. The way we operate in the world is opposite to our transformational destiny. And uh, with Rome, Rome was a very humanistic. They had some old religion mixed in, but it was very man-centered humanistic thinking. Got a lot of Greek philosophy. It was it was what it was, and so Paul is being very careful. And he's being specific in that you need to have your mind transformed. It's very important. It's not just your body. It's not just some actions or maybe how you worship. Um, it are, it's those things, but you need to you need to take care of your mind. The word for mind in this translates to understanding or reasoning. So it's talking about the way you think. It's completely the way you think. It's not just it's not just knowledge. It is I am relearning how to think. Um, and renew means to renovate or make new again. And I think what Paul is hinting at is, is Paul is like we we are going to renew your original human destiny, your original human process that you were created to do these things with God. 
And then 1 Corinthians, he's going to talk about it a little bit more. Um, 1 Corinthians 12.6, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age, again talking about worldview, we are doomed to pa- who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not crucify the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. It's a lot. It's taken on the worldview again. There's a spirit of this age. There is a mentality that people live their lives by. The Holy Spirit runs counter to that. And what he is saying is the Holy Spirit knows, because he is God, the will of God. The meaning of life, if you will. What we are to do. And we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and we need to shift into listening to what the Holy Spirit has to say. And not what televisions and newspapers, if people even read newspapers anymore, websites, whatever gets ingrained in our head, whatever we we hold attention to, um, it's not our focus. We've got to get through that. And again, he brings it back. Um, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of God so as to instruct him? But we do have the mind of Christ. Again, just hitting the points. We have an obligation to live a certain way and to think a certain way. We're saved. We're new creations. Talks about it again in Ephesians. Um, I just went with transformation, but there's a number of, of verses and sections where Paul is talking about new creation. He uses the language new creation. Um, but I just really want to hit on the transformation part right now. Ephesians 4.17, Now this I say and testify of the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and given, this, given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. That is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. Again, just getting the same points. Get it in your mind. Change your mind. 
How do we know if we're being transformed? Um, Paul gives us a couple different ways to know. How do we know if people are being transformed? How are we being transformed? Can we see more uh, in the way that we think? And there are ways to test how we're doing it. Uh, Colossians 1.9, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. There's one indicator. Are you bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God? Something to ask ourselves. Uh, Are we being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy? I think that that's talking about not only the strengthening and power, are we able to endure in patience and enjoy? Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Are we thankful? He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So right there, I think, those are good indicators to evaluate how you're doing. Um, Then again, in Galatians, we know this is the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is the Spirit. Spirit is in you. You should be showing this stuff. This is your fruit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And that last part goes within the context of the whole thing. But the fruit of the Spirit is what I wanted to point out there. Um, those are all things that we should see growing in our lives. They're not growing in our lives. We need to reevaluate some things. Our mind has probably allowed some other stuff in. We need to recenter. We need to stay there. Um, all right. I think Paul's made a good point. I'll skip Romans 8. Why does this matter? To be transformed is to know him more. And being transformed allows you to interface the same way humans were created to interface with God, which is that personal relationship. This personal relationship is is what drives how we transform earth. He still wants the extension of the kingdom of God across this entire planet. I don't think that anything has changed since Genesis 1 with what God wants for us. I think we've got thousands of years now. I think in some ways things are getting better. In some places we see the kingdom of God moving, but it is not complete. I also don't want you to think that like we can just do a complete takeover. I think we can do things and we get things ready. I think we know that Jesus comes down for the complete takeover. I'm not saying Jesus has already come and we were, you know. There's some there's some weird thoughts out there on all of that. That's not what I'm saying. But we are we are preparing this earth. We are still doing what we're supposed to be doing. Um, And part of that is, um, well, what Jesus told us to do. So let's look at what Jesus told us to do. After Jesus is resurrected, he comes and he talks to us. Where are we supposed to start with this? Uh, Let's look at the Great Commission in Matthew. And now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain of which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some still doubted. This is after Jesus' resurrection resurrected. 
And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What had he commanded them to do? Um, also, these are the 11 disciples that lived with them. They knew what he commanded them to do. He told them, commanded them to do many things during their life with him. He also just commanded them to do stuff there. I want to look at the Great Commission in Mark also. Um, and afterward, he appeared to the 11 themselves as they were reclining at the table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, you get, a, you get a nice rebuke, but then Jesus is like, I'm setting you straight. Here's what you need to do. Go into all the world and proclaim that the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. Feel like he's made himself clear. This is post resurrection. The transformation is available for you. You can be saved. He's back. You guys need to go and do this. Um, he's also going to tell them to wait for the Holy Spirit, um, who's going to help them do this. The Holy Spirit is our helper, it is our partnership with God. The Holy Spirit, he, he's our partner. Um, so, there's a practicality of what the church can help people do to accomplish that. That's for a further sermon. But I wanted to talk about there are some people, okay, so this is what we're supposed to do. Kind of got a plan. How do we do it? Well, part of that is personally, you've got to figure this out with God. I can't really tell you what to do. I can tell you, this is all good stuff. This is what Jesus said to do. Um, so what I do when I'm feeling a little... Like, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, I go back to the Lord's Prayer. I kind of meditate on the Lord's Prayer because that's what Jesus said. Hey, well, let's look at what Jesus said. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us to this day our daily bread and forgive us our debt, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So he's just going and he's saying, focus on this, pray this. I think if you pray this and you're thinking about this as you commune with God, you're, you're going to get stuff. God is faithful. Um, again, earth as it is in heaven always been like that since Genesis 1. That's the goal. Kingdom of God increasing on the earth. The rule of God, specifically meaning the rule of God increasing on the earth.
Um, so I think that that is what comes after salvation. You are immersed in this transformation process. This transformation process is to serve a purpose in renewing God's work, God's earth. Um, that's what I had. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for coming down. We thank you for coming down and making everything right for us to engage in what the Father has. The Holy Spirit, we just ask right now for those of us that sometimes spend time wondering what I'm supposed to be doing, Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would help reveal the Father's plan to us. That you would give us good indications on what he's trying to accomplish right now. Specific applications for our communities, for our homes. Things that he has in mind. Things that he's waiting for his partners. Lord, we just, we are extremely happy in the fact that you are a, the most high God still wants to work with us. Still wants to run the family business with us. And God, we thank you for, for partnering with us and giving us that chance. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your design. We thank you for your purpose. And so, Holy Spirit, once again, as we go out over this week, let us be attentive to focusing on what you'll have us do. Have us be attentive on taking thoughts captive, on renewing our mind, figuring some thought patterns out that maybe shouldn't be there, that you want to replace with something fresh. We want to think like heaven, Lord. Jesus, we love you and we thank you for all of these things. In your name we pray. Amen.